Okay, folks, so welcome to this morning's uh, Five Property Show. Today, we're going to talk about furnished lettings. Um, so, could you actually boost your income of your rental property by 21% by furnishing the lettings? Gut reaction, Karen. Is this really possible? I mean, it surprised me in a way, so it'll be good to read into it and see all the ins and outs of it. It's something, I mean, we could say the show's right over straight away because I don't do furnished lens. <laughs> so we could just finish now. <laughs> but I don't do furnished lens for a reason. And, uh, I, and it'll probably become apparent as we go through this show. Um, but more importantly, um, uh, you know, the very fact that we're saying it, it could boost your income uh, or your rental property by 21%. It is something really to be considered, isn't it? Is it something to have a wee look into? So it'll be good to obviously weigh up the pros and cons of it today and uh, see what the outcome is at the end. Yeah, I mean to furnish or to not furnish. Uh, that hasn't been the question for a long time since I can remember. Um, it's been unfurnished all the way, as I said. Uh, nonetheless, the subject comes up in conversation every now and again. And in a recent Zoopla article, it weighed up the pros and cons of furnished versus unfurnished homes, uh, albeit from a tenant's perspective. So we actually thought it's worth exploring from a landlord's point of view, um, the other side of this. Um, particularly if it opens up a new angle and the extra income for your buy-to-let business. So over the last few years, um, surveys have found that tenants pay up to 21% more for a furnished house according to research from onthemarket.com, rising to 50%, jeez, oh 50% more. Uh, get, my, get my house is furnished now. 50% <laughs> more for some furnished city rentals. That's the key here, city rentals, according to CIA Insurance. Now, I also found that 28% of tenants would pay more for rent in return for a higher quality furniture, while 26% are more likely to rent a furnished property over an empty one. So does that mean um, a quarter of tenants will pay handsomely for a furnished home? And if so, which quarter is actually going to pay for it? That's the dilemma. I often say this about marketing budgets. You know, 50% of your marketing budget is usually wasted but it's actually quantifying which 50 percent is actually the one that's wasted that's the difficulty and this is exactly the same here isn't it kim it is and i think you hit the nail on the head one of the things that you said is they'll pay it for high quality furnishings so i think when it comes to if you've got somewhere that has a couch in it that to be honest i've gone in and i'm like i haven't sit on that so i don't know how some people could expect tenants to live with that so i i think we'll touch on that today just kind of the quality in which you put it in but when it comes to that, it's also weighing it up, yeah. price versus function. So um, mm. lots of things to consider when we go through today's show, I think. It's also, it's also a landlord's perspective and a tenant's perspective of what is high quality, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I think everybody's opinion differs when it comes to that. There's not really a, really a blanket that covers it all, like what you think could be high quality, somebody else might not, yeah. and vice versa. So um, it's quite a, a broad spectrum on it to, to be covering, basically. And, and, but we've also got to consider the thing about isn't isn't supplying furniture just a hassle, an expensive hassle? 
and, and that's ultimately what I came down to. Once they took the 10% wear and tear allowance, you know, in, in terms of your top line so, rents away yeah. taxation, it, it, made a, it made a huge difference to me. And I, and I felt that there was no point in actually providing furnished properties anymore. Plus, the fact is most of my tenants actually want to bring their own property. So I've got a different mix where other people do provide furnished. I'd be interested to hear other people's comments out there about do you provide, are you a landlord and do you provide furnished properties? And what do you feel is the benefit for your this? I mean, there's plenty of questions. So if you do own a rental property in the Fife area or, or outside of Fife even, because uh, it's all the same, really. It's all uh, the same when you come down to it. And if you're wondering whether it's right for a furnished letting, well, this is what we're going to talk about today. This is the first question I've got to ask him. Which homes and tenants suit furnished lettings? What's your so, opinion on this? There's quite a different spectrum of it. So as we say, Fife is very pockety, so all the different areas have kind of different demands in them. But student lets and HMOs, so House of Multiple Occupants, have long been furnished as a standard, basically. Yeah. It's more expected from them. But the rest of the private rental sector hasn't followed. So we do know from the sales market that stylish homes get higher prices and obviously people are paying more of a premium to have that convenience as well. So here's what we think the market might look like. So high earning professional singles, couples and sharers are drawn to design led homes in popular residential streets and high yeah. quality new developments. Mm -hmm. So I think obviously as we cover that, people that are maybe professionals that maybe don't want to stay as long, they're only looking for shorter term lets, they're more going to be more attracted to furnished properties because it's less hassle for them. Yeah. Whereas established families usually accumulate furniture from years of growing a household, so they're probably not the greatest target for a furnished property. I mean, we've seen this before. I've had a property that's had furniture in it, and we have what would be a great tenant, but they're like, I want it unfurnished because they have all their own furniture. Plus the fact I feel that with, with people coming along with their own furniture, it doesn't encourage what I would call in some markets a transient population. You know, where the where where the in I always go back to the Wild West days or the Wild East days, which was thirty years ago, <laughs> when it was a bit different and there was kinda no regulation in the private rented sector. And it was and it was a bit like the Wild West, um, in terms of how everything worked. Um you you want to encourage people to be have bring their own furniture because it's less likely for them to move um and if, if they you've provided all the furniture moonlight flits is you know i don't know if anybody knows what the expression means in other words they disappear in the middle of the night and just load everything into a van and they're away hence the reason why it's your tenant and your furniture <laughs> yeah hence the reason why it's called a moonlight flight and and, and also <laughs> and your kitchen disappears as well at the same time it's like wait a minute i just fit that kitchen Who's, who's loading it into the back of the van? Um, that's the sort of thing sometimes it can happen. So having, you're absolutely right, having established families uh, accumulate furniture from, from the years of their households is actually quite a good thing to have them bring it to the next property, to your property, because it does encourage them to stay longer, doesn't it? It does. It puts their own kind of personal stamp on the property as well. It makes it feel more like a home for them as opposed to just like a rental property that they're staying in. So it, like you say, it does encourage them to stay longer because they have that homely feel to it and it is all their own possessions and it can be quite an upheaval to have to move all of that. I mean, the costs incurred in obviously changing from rental, you've got a deposit to pay up front. You'll have your first month's rent to pay up front, potentially a few months rent up front that you'll have to pay. And then you've got all those costs to incur with your moving your furniture as well. So 
it can be quite a lot to take on. So, for example, people that are saving up to buy a home could be quite happy to avoid the upfront cost of buying furniture that may not fit with their next move either. Yeah, that makes sense. Andrea actually says here, I mean, friends of hers sold a property, moved into a brand new furnished uh, rental property in Glasgow and loved it. And the furniture uh, that they had then approached the landlord and bought it from him uh, complete with the furnishings, the whole property and the furnishings itself. I mean, I've seen that on our sales side as well. People have bought the property, but they've also managed to negotiate it. So they're buying the furniture with it as well, because some properties are well furnished and they do really suit the furniture that's in them, where some yeah. people might be coming from a completely different styled property and mm -hmm. their furniture might not fit the property that they're going into. So it does give a bit of flexibility with it, which can be quite beneficial. You are actually, you are actually right when you think about it. I mean, people are saving up for a, to buy their first home. Generally, that's what happens in some of the private rented properties, that they move into private rented property, they want to avoid all these costs in the beginning because then that just eats into the deposit they're trying to put down for their new home. So, yeah, I get that, why why they would want furnished properties. I've, I've never really thought about it like that. As a landlord perspective, though, would I want to encourage that? Because you'd obviously want a tenant that wants to stay a lot longer. Um, so you would want to encourage them to bring their own furniture um, and having someone... It's just using your property for a, a shorter period of time means it's less of an occupancy rate you know, and also more costs incurred when you have to change over tenants uh, from a landlord's perspective. The thing that we have now, though, is obviously with the private residential tenancies is there are no fixed terms anymore. So you could have a family that move in and literally within the next month they could give their 28 days notice and be out so yeah. we're living in a time where there's no fixed periods anymore we are just having to go by obviously when we're going through our reference and initial process for booking viewings we've got our pre-qualifying stage that we yeah. can check people's kind of initial compatibility with the property and one of the questions that we do ask is how long are you looking to rent for because ultimately ideally you want somebody that's at least looking initially for a year plus for somebody that's maybe like oh, six months, like it's not really worth the landlord's time. So trying to establish people's initial expectations of how long they're looking to rent for. So for example, you could have a working professional that maybe has a two, three year contract, yeah. but they'll be maybe going back abroad afterwards. So a furnished, a nice furnished property could be more attractive for them rather than when they know they're not going to be here forever, but they are going to be here for the foreseeable for it. So there's kind of two distinct markets, isn't there, for that, depending on what you want to do. So from a perspective, again, from a landlord's point of view, you're absolutely right. If, if somebody's only going to stay six months, you've got the best part of maybe another £500 uh, to actually then put another tenant in later on, which to, to a lot of landlords right now, with, the, with, you know, with the, the rent freeze, or you can only put your rent up so much, and then also costs uh, going up and, and base rates going up in, mortgage rates going up as well and you're getting squeezed in the middle 500 pounds a lot of money and effectively it's almost for some landlords it could be their whole profit if not half their profit for that year and let's be honest you have to have a return on capital because everybody goes you get you do get people out there going oh you shouldn't be making a profit <laughs> out of property it's like well why would you be doing it then if that's the case yeah. what would be the point it's you know it's the same example of why do I put my money into a bank account to get a high interest rate? Well, to make a profit on my money, because that's what it is. So it's the same similar vein, but one person chooses to put a roof over their head, whereas another person just uses chooses the the, the path of least resistance and, and puts their money into a bank and hopes hopes that they'll get a decent enough return in order to in order to make sure their capital actually grows rather than actually depletes with the with the um 
with the um, degradation of inflation against your money, how it just eats away. I mean, inflation's probably about 8.7 just now, or thereabouts, and interest rates. I, I actually noticed, I'm sure I was reading the BBC News yesterday. I know I, know, I, know I shouldn't be reading the BBC News. <laughs> it's not exactly the greatest source of information, but it did say that the watchdog is actually looking into banks right now as because they don't seem to be passing on these base rate increases as, as savings rates, you know, to savers themselves. So people out there that want to that want to make a bit more money but are in it for the medium to long term, probably property is a good consideration um, for for that investment. And that's the thing as well. What you've, I mean, what you said, you need to be ideally making a profit on it, not only for the fact that you're investing your time and your money into it, but this is an ongoing thing that you're going to have. Like you're going to have ongoing maintenance. You're going to have tenants that are maybe coming out and obviously having to pay maybe new fees to remarket the property and secure yourself a new tenant for it and further down the line. So if you're not making money on it, how are you expected to cover the costs that are involved? So. So making sure that you're maximizing your investment for it, whether that is furnishing it to get yourself a higher rent or even just freshening up the paint in it, maybe when a tenant comes out to give it that nice clean look to it, as opposed to a tenant that's coming in and seeing tired walls and a property that's maybe not the best looked after it means you're not going to attract the best quality tenants for it. So all the little things yeah. that do go into it make it so you're attracting the better quality tenants. So let's just jump back to which homes the you know tenants suit furnished lens, which homes and in that suit you know if you got any final thoughts on that or are there anything to pick up on that i think it really depends on what which area your property is in so um i think we'll cover it a wee bit on but obviously yeah. the different areas that we have in fife like i say it's very pockety so if you're kind of in the leaven glen mothis um Kirkcaldy even maybe areas it tends to attract quite family quite a lot of families in these areas so, like we say, most of them have their own furniture anyway that they've accumulated, whereas the closer we get to St Andrews, there's more of a demand for furnished property because you've got people that are perhaps PhD students or that are working at the university that are maybe only going to be here for a couple of years. So there is more of an attraction for furnished properties. For example, we have some in Garbridge right now. So uh, we've got some lovely three-bedroom semi-detached houses. I have a three-bedroom apartment that I just put on and the amount of interest that I've had in it because it's got the furniture in it because of the area that it's in it's very much pulling in the attraction for the people that are going to St Andrews so obviously some of them not so suitable just with the income side of it but the ones that are obviously it'll make a great home for somebody because it does have everything that they need so all they really need is their possessions to be able to do the move and yeah. uh, likewise people that have maybe been in student like university accommodation that are now making their times up with it and they need somewhere else they've been used to having that furniture so it's obviously it's going to be it would be a lot for them to then have to go and purchase everything from scratch when they've come from somewhere that has the furnishings already in it yeah so it's fair to say well not every tenant or home suits a furnished letting plenty actually do so i suppose i just check with the local letting agents about the requests they receive from tenants to see if there's demand actually worth meeting for furnished properties Exactly. That's then check with your agent, check what area your property is in, what the links are close by to it as well. Obviously, what it's within close vicinity to, for example, like universities or train stations will yeah. kind of depict on what the demand's going to be like for furnished or unfurnished. 
So coming on to then about the legislative aspect of this, I mean, what laws are actually surrounding furnished lens? So obviously, as a landlord, there are a lot of legal implications that have to be adhered to, which is why it's beneficial to have a letting agent to keep you up to date with them all. But although there are no legal definition of what constitutes as a furnished let compared to unfurnished, tenants will expect at least a sofa, dining table and chairs if there's space for them, and a bed and wardrobe in each room. Yeah. So bare minimum, they're kind of looking for like the main items of furniture for it. So you're kind of bigger, bulkier things that are the more expensive things to purchase. Um, in my time, I've seen such a wide range of furnishings from one just having the basics, such as the main items of furniture, to other ones having right down to like cutlery, um, crockery, everything. So um, it very much depends. There's not kind of like a right or a wrong for it. It just depends for what a landlord is quite happy to supply with a furnished let. Yeah. So, however, there are regulations about furniture that you provide and what you can claim back on your tax return. So these include any upholstery furniture you supply must comply with British fire regulations and have labels attached that prove that they meet the standard. So if you do have furniture that has these little triangular labels on them, don't cut them off. <laughs> I get this a lot um, when I, I remember I used to go around to see a lot of landlords and they said, yeah, yeah, my sofa is actually quite new. And I says, but have you actually still got the tickets on it? No, we took them off because they were just big long tickets. And I went, well, you can't rent it. You can't rent it with that now. You'll have to take them out. But I've just bought it. It's like, but you can't, you've cut the tickets off. It's a legal requirement that tickets remain on the actual furnishings itself. Um, and it's the same that happens with headboards. You know, you've got the headboard and you've got the wee ticket on the back, it sways about, well, most people is. It's on with the, the staple, that's how detailed I am. Um, and, and it's like the amazing amount of people actually just take that off and yet it should be still on there. So if it's not on there, you can't legally use that headboard for furnishings as well. What other things do we need to consider then? So upholstery category covers any items with fabric. So this includes sofas, armchairs, dining chairs, beds, blinds, and curtains. Mm. So anything that has a fabric finish to it, this will include. However, the rules only apply to furnishings made after 1970. Yeah. So if you're a lover of Danish leather couches from the 60s and mid-century modern interiors, Go for it. You'll be fine. <laughs> now, this is because they were made with different material at mm -hmm. that time, whereas the newer material came out from the 70s onwards wasn't compliant and they were prone to actually encouraging the fire to spread. It's a classic example about, you know, the, I think most people have seen it where the fire brigade put a, a sofa in the corner in this makeshift room and then they put just a, they put a cigarette on it and within a couple of minutes, the whole thing's yes. ablaze. Yeah. Actually, it's important we actually do that and make sure that that's, it's compliant as well. Um, so is there anything else we need to consider? Um, I'm sure there is, probably more than likely. Yeah, so obviously there is the tax return side of the furnishings being in there as well. So mm -hmm. you can't claim back the initial costs of buying the furniture against your tax return, but repairs and replacements are both allowable expenses. Yeah. So I think one of the things that we should ideally highlight, whatever you provide with a furnished let, you are responsible for. So for example, I say to a landlord, worst case scenario, say you have a couch and it snaps. You then have to replace that couch unless the tenant has damaged it and it is just broken as a sign of wear and tear over time. I mean, realistically, if you have a couch that's been in there since before 1970, it's probably due for renewal anyway. This is where, this is where a lot of prone 
what we call accidental landlords mm-hmm. use the opportunity to leave some of their existing furniture in the property without actually getting rid of it. But you're exactly right. You you do mention this to everybody, and everybody should be aware of this, that if you actually leave anything there at all, even though you're you're saying that you don't want it, uh, it's your responsibility because you've left it as the landlord. Now, is there a, is there a way to get rid of that? There is. We have a loophole. <laughs> so if you are a landlord that has a furnished item that you want to leave in your property, but you do not want to be responsible for it, it can be gifted to the tenants. Now, what this means, though, is the ownership is basically transferred to the tenant. So although you no longer have the responsibility for it, if it does break down or need replaced, you it does mean that the tenant is now basically the owner of the item. So if they choose to move on from their property, they can take it with them. So yeah. it's knowing, obviously, it can be quite beneficial if there's something that maybe, I mean, it can even apply. We have quite a lot of it with, like, there's been an old fridge freezer or a washing machine that's been left by perhaps a previous tenant. It's still in working order, but the landlord doesn't want to be responsible for it. So it gets gifted to the next tenant so they can get the use out of it. I mean, nine times out of ten, these things do tend to last and the next tenant can get the use out of some. But when it does come mm-hmm. around to the point where they stop working or do need replaced, the landlord then does not have the responsibility for it. So my general advice for a landlord is less is better because then you have less responsibility and things that are going to need maintained during the tenancy. Perfect. So if you if you are providing furnishings, should we what should we be doing with that? Because clearly, I mean, you just provide furnishings and say, well, I'll get them when I'll I'll get them when you finish your tenancy. But should we be doing something to safeguard the landlord and ourselves? to make sure we are actually going to get the stuff returned. Classic example is, I've seen it before, where somebody's given um, possibly a really top quality cooker to a tenant, and then when the tenancy's ended, they've then said, wait a minute, that's not my cooker that I gave you. It's an inferior cooker. Ah, but it's still a cooker. And, And then it's like, well, what cooker did you give me? And how can you prove it? Should we be doing something about that? Yes, and just before I go on to it, that's actually a good point that's made me think, when you are having to replace items, you have to replace them like for like. So if you have a high quality appliance or furnishing and something happens that it needs replaced, you have to then replace it with that same quality. You can maybe have like a thousand pound whatever and then replace it with like a 200 pound replacement. It has to be something that matches like for like. So the key to doing a furnished let, to be honest, the key to doing any let is having an inventory in place. So this should be a fully comprehensive report that should include everything that is listed in the property. So not only should this include furnishings, but it should also include something such as the cleanliness of the property, right down to the paint, the light switches, everything should be included in this. Now, I've had conversations with landlords before that have an an inventory. However, it's just been a bit of paper with maybe like a list of things that are in the property. However, the legislation around deposits and the work that is now required to make a claim against a deposit if required is far more comprehensive than it used to be. The word I'll use for it. But basically, the landlord has to prove that it wasn't like that at the start of the tenancy or it was like that. So without an inventory, basically now landlords do not have a claim against the deposit. So this should be a fully comprehensive report, including both descriptions, pictures. It has to be date stamped as well. So ideally, this should be carried out maximum a couple of days before 
the tenants moving into the property so it's as accurate as possible for what's, the moving What's date. your thoughts on the landlord doing it themselves? Don't do it. Just pay someone to get it done. You know, I saw your expression in your face there. And so why is that though? Why is that? So ourselves anyway, we have an in, like a out of house contractor that carries out our inventories and he is so comprehensive with it. So even for, a, for example, a two bedroom unfurnished property, this report is at least 50 pages long. So this has so many pictures, so many descriptions. It's as comprehensive as it can be. It also takes into account the meter readings from the start of the tenancy as well. So there are no discrepancies at the end. So when our property management team go in and do a sign out report at the end of the tenancy, we then have this inventory to compare it against. If there is anything that exceeds wear and tear, we then have as detailed of documents that we can to make a claim against the tenant's deposit. Yeah. So if they've left either that, if they've either taken furniture that they shouldn't, or maybe the property needs a clean done to or anything that could be involved in it, then you will need an inventory to be able to justify your claim because basically it's in favour of the tenant because obviously for a long time it was really hard for tenants to get their deposit back and unjustifiably. So this basically rules out all the kind of rogue landlords making rogue claims against it. So it should kind of level it out. So basically with the inventory and a sign-out report, you're then able to provide evidence to show that it wasn't like that or in some cases it was like that at the start of the tenancy yeah. and you can return your property to how it should be as opposed to perhaps how some people have left it unfortunately and do you think do you think a landlord nowadays can just get away with taking a video and just walking around the property with a video and using that and do you think there's a distinction between the landlord doing it and an independent contractor doing it yeah, so obviously an independent contractor they're going to identify anything they're unbiased basically they're going in to carry out their job if they're scuffed on the wall perhaps the landlord would be like oh I'll just skim past that whereas they are there and it has to be a true reflection of the property so if there is anything maybe some scuffs on the wall from a last tenant that maybe haven't been bad enough to warrant a full fresh coat of paint on it it's good to have the inventory to show for a tenant's point of view as well that maybe there are the odd imperfection in it so they are not getting penalized at the end of their tenancy for things that weren't caused by them so yeah. it is to have it balanced out. It's not in favour of a landlord or a tenant and inventory. It is basically to safeguard a landlord. So if there is any damage, to be honest, it safeguards a tenant as well. So if there is any disputes at the end of the tenancy, it's a true reflection of what's occurred during that time. So is it important then as well, when you're providing an inventory and you're obviously providing possibly goods and uh, furnishings, um, is it important as well to include things like care, you know, care manuals and stuff, especially if you've got, for example, a leather sofa, um, especially if you've got um, possibly a, a, a cooker or a range cooker, it maybe requires a wee bit more detailed thinking about how to work it. Um, is it important actually to include all these things? It is. That's the thing. If you have like specialist either furniture or appliances, the more manuals the better basically because there are things obviously we can go in and be like this is how you work your boiler this is all the general ins and outs of the property but if you have something specific like to be honest, i have no idea how a range cooker works yeah <laughs> so having like a manual for things like that that's not the most commonly used things that it benefits so if you do have any manuals that come with your appliances any furnitures um, that you're supplying with the property it can be very beneficial I do like it when I go into a property to do a move in and there's a, a pack that has all the manuals in it yeah I mean 
in our experience, and I've probably, I could probably say that for yourself as well, in your experience as well, better quality homes get looked after by their tenants. And there's no reason to think otherwise for a furnished rental property amid at the, uh, aimed at the upper end of the property market. Um, and, and I do think that um, if you provide a good quality accommodation in the beginning, there's an, is it fair to say there's an expectation from the on, on the tenant's behalf, you know, from the landlord to the tenant, un, un, sort of unwritten, it's just, it's just assumed because I've provided you with really good quality accommodation that I expect that to be kept like this. I would say so, yes. So ultimately, if you've got somebody that is going to want to look after a property going forward, they want a property that's been looked after in the first place. So they want to be going into somewhere nice that they can just move into as opposed to somewhere that they're perhaps going to have to do work to. I mean, we get people that have maybe had, that have tenants that have been in before that have maybe got like a feature wall or some sort of personal touch that they've put on it, which has been previously agreed with the landlord, which is fine. So it does give a tenant a little bit of scope to put their own stamp on it. But the general consensus is that if you're looking after, you're providing a nice property that's been looked after, a tenant should want to look after that going forward as well. Yeah. So this takes me on to things like, um, what about living room and dining rooms and furnished lens? You know, what should we be considering with this thing? So living room and dining rooms are usually used by everyone in the home. So along with like when you've got friends visiting, they need furnishings to be stylish and durable while allowing your tenants to accessorise with their own taste. So things that are quite neutral. So instead of the typical landlord sofas, old, heavy, dark brown and bulky, let's face it, most people don't want them anymore. Yeah. Choose a nice, warm fabric and neutral shades with nice, easy to clean, as well as that tenants can put their own accessories on. So whenever it comes to lets, I usually advise the neutrals better. That means that people can put their own stamp on it, whether it's putting a nice, colourful pillow on it or a throw it just lets people put their own kind of comfort to it and adds that homely touch for them rather than them feeling like they're living in someone else's property. So what we're saying is really provide the essentials, um, but don't don't accessorise, you know, leave that to the tenant to do. Exactly. That's the thing. Give them the chance to put their own stamp on it. It's good to have all the main furnishings. But I think one of the things we touched on there is have durable ones as well. Ultimately, this is a rental property. If you want it to withstand multiple tenancies, you will have to go for something that is quite perhaps a durable fabric. Yeah. Um, so in some cases, velvet, not the best idea for a rental property. <laughs> what, what sort of design should we be going for then? Something that is go for either like square or rectangular or circular dining table with corner legs and neutral wood or glass top. Um, also kind of like a marble finish is quite in just now so yep. something that is still quite neutral again like we say but so I would avoid going for things that are too bulky though and um, you don't want things to be having to get yourself around basically having the room like an obstacle course <laughs> so whenever you are furnishing a property go for something that's going to suit your property so um, there's the NED series from John Lewis which is nice easy clean and uh, obviously like I say also going for Items and such as IKEA does quite good stuff as well, you know, yeah. for for the for that high end market. Uh, as I it, said, my IKEA furnished room. <laughs> 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 but I, the good thing with IKEA is obviously you're building it yourself, so obviously you are getting it a little bit something anyway, a little bit cheaper. But it's all they have a lot of neutral things. So as I said, my white walls and my white desk was my white day bed. <laughs> 
but you can see obviously even myself like you've got nice like pink pillows like it's really good because it is so neutral so it does give people the chance to put their own stamp on it yeah um yeah um also i'd avoid going for when it comes to furnishing as i say going for things that are appropriate to the size of the space that's available so avoiding mini versions that are cramped to sit on and stay clear of oversized pieces, as I say, that turn the room into obstacle courses. Obstacle courses, yeah. And then line of sight to the bay windows and stuff like that become obscured. Therefore, mm -hmm. the room doesn't fit very well, does it? And that's the thing. It's making something that's a comfortable living space. You don't want to walk into a room and it seems so much smaller than it actually is. Whereas when you take that furniture out, you're like, oh, there's actually quite a lot of space in here. But people have perhaps put furniture in that just doesn't suit it. And it takes yeah. away from the living space of the room. I'm amazed at how many how many properties are actually gone into uh, quite recently actually um, where where you've just got a, almost a two seater sofa couch and then there's a couple of you know chairs that you can put in a cupboard and take away um, mm -hmm. and 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 for some reason it fits it just works and and yet the traditional is you've got to have a three seater sofa and then you've got to have two seats that actually are exactly the same as the sofa and and that seems to be that seems to have disappeared now in terms of the rental market. Yeah, I mean, even like you say that the typical used to be kind of like your two seat or your three seat or couch and maybe like the armchair that went with it. That was what I grew up with anyway. But now, like I'm very much like the corner couch because it's a good use of like if you've got like a room that does fit it, it's a good use of obviously the space and obviously the comfort for it as well. So yeah. it can get a little bit more expensive when it comes to rent. Also, maybe like the two or three seater is the more sensible option depending on cost. But I am. Um, Definitely, I think corner sofas have become quite a staple in living rooms now. So really, when it comes to the sort of home that high earning tenants would pay extra for, one with uh, shared spaces where people love to hang out, out alone with housemates or with friends um, sounds pretty good to us, I suppose. Yeah. Exactly. It takes me nicely on the one about, you know, just as you've probably spoken about your IKEA designed house. <laughs> It's not all like, yeah, we'll add that. <laughs> this room pretty much is, but it's not the right. <laughs> what then, we've covered things like living room and dining rooms, we've covered the legislation, we've covered the introduction about where to get things. Uh, the next one for me is probably um, bedrooms, furnished lens. I mean, I, I yeah, presume yeah. probably just, do you, what, what type of bed, you know, do you provide wardrobes? Do you, you know, what, what do you do? What do you do? How do you do this? Yeah, so everyone loves and needs a good night's sleep. So investing in the correct furnishings that leave your tenant feeling well rested every morning in a room that can store their belongings with ease. So mm -hmm. nobody wants to be waking up after a bad night's sleep. It just sets you up for a bad day. So yeah. um, obviously this is such an important room because it's where you spend about half your life, basically, whether that sleeping and getting ready in the morning the furniture in the bedroom is very important to be getting right so pairing a high quality mattress and a mattress protector as you'll be forever replacing cheap ones with a sturdy bed on legs that your tenants can add drawers to that they can store their belongings underneath so when it comes to a bedroom storage is key um, quite, quite important in terms of the new design houses because a lot mm -hmm. of new houses don't have the huge amount of storage that the older houses have Yes, and even like wardrobe space as well. I mean, a lot of new houses don't have built-in wardrobes. Um, yeah. when they're going for obviously your new build developments. It's the wardrobes are extra if you want them fitted. So, or either that, or you have to buy them yourself just out with the company. Oh, you're so, literally getting a glorified cupboard. Yeah, 
it's, ba it's basically when you're buying a new build, it's effectively like you're getting a shell and you have to put your own stamp on it from there on. So mm -hmm. um, storage is such an important thing, whether that is under the bed. Um, but you can also, I mean, realistically, you can't beat floor to ceiling built-in wardrobes. So they give mm -hmm. optimal capacity, particularly with sliding mirrored doors that save floor space and add extra depth. So obviously it's quite beneficial that even the mirrors kind of give you, when you've got mirrors in a property, it does tend to give you like a bit more of a sense of space for it. It just keeps the room a bit more open as well. And like I say, it maximizes that storage. Yeah. So whether that's on the bed, on the wardrobe, I know myself, storage, very important. <laughs> very much have to maximize the room so you're getting the best of the storage use out of it. So freestanding wardrobes should be 60 centimeters deep to be able to hang clothes and properly on full size hangers. So I remember when I went to, when I was looking to buy somewhere, I went in and it was um, the style of house that had like a sloped roof on it and the war the wardrobe was kind of like built into that. And I was like, you can't even put a coat hanger on that. I was like, what yeah. was the point? Because <laughs> of the coom ceilings. Yeah, exactly. So like I've seen properties that have had coom ceilings that still have proper wardrobes, but this, I was like, you can even put a coat hanger in there. Yeah. The one thing I would say about freestanding wardrobes is to be nervous about is make sure that when you open the doors on the wardrobe, the wardrobe doesn't have any indication of being able to tip over. If you have that indication, you need to fix the wardrobe to the back of the wall with brackets. Usually they come with brackets as well, so you can do that. Obviously, you do not want it tipping over on a tenant, basically. So if you yeah. are putting your own freestanding wardrobe in a property, make sure they are securely built back of mine has popped off already <laughs> and that's because i built it myself so and um, as jim says make sure they're secured to the wall because you don't need that so uh, when it comes to wardrobes as well i would go for a quality one so you've got one that because i mean the amount of times that we've seen ones that are built in that end up having issues with the doors sliding on the runners and they either need repaired or replaced so going for yeah. good quality ones in the first place can save you that ongoing cost with them if you do have one with sliding doors on it, because that's there's also, there's also a nervousness if you have mirrored doors, you know, the possibility mm -hmm. that they could actually crack or break. And you know, as as could you have a safety issue with that? Is it is it advisable maybe to not get mirrored doors? I think obviously when it comes to mirrored one, it can be beneficial to have, but there is obviously going to be that safety side of it. So I mean ultimately hopefully it would be fine during the tenancy. And if you have purchased it fairly new, it ideally should come with a bit of a warranty as well. However, We've seen it before, tenants have maybe something slipped and it's cracked it and it's it, basically that's it. It needs replaced because it is damaged. Yeah. And obviously it's the safety hazard if they are broken. So it can be sometimes beneficial if you're maybe putting a freestanding one in just to have one that with cupboard doors that open up and that are solid wood as opposed to the mirrored sliding doors that do have the potential to crack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've got to weigh up your options there as to what you think is the best option for your rental property. Yeah, I mean, we've all seen it and we've even had it, an unpleasant and hopelessly impractical bedroom, I suppose. Nobody will pay extra for one of those. Um, so focus on comfort for a premium experience and, and rent itself. Um, right, this brings me to possibly the last thing we're going to talk about, which is probably one of the most important things. Curtains and blinds, should I be doing that for furnished lettings? So I think there is a bit of an expectation when it comes to, um, it can be quite a costly thing to do as someone that had to put new blinds in every single room in their house, it costs a lot. Mm -hmm. So for tenants that are maybe not wanting to, that are not going to be there for the long term, that are maybe like, was he only looking to be there for maybe a couple of years or so, 
when they're having to buy blinds that are fitted to the window that they're realistically not going to be able to take with them. It can be a bit yeah. off-putting, um, regardless of if it's furnished or unfurnished. So you might sometimes get away with not supplying curtains or blinds in an unfurnished let, but you'll definitely need to include them in a furnished one. So here are some of the best practical guidelines. Good quality Venetian blinds in white or neutral timber look great in a living room, dining room, and also in studies in modern and traditional homes. They'll also match any tenant's taste because like we say, neutral is better. We also, the one thing that I also find as well is sometimes when it comes to blinds and curtains, I mean, while, while we try to provide, you know, the basic essentials and the blinds and curtains are there as well, sometimes the tenants have a preference for something that they want and they do realise they're going to stay there a bit longer. Um, and do you often get approached to, for people just to say that, you know, would the landlord be able to contribute part of this cost to the blinds? I'll, I'll be leaving them anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Most of the time they do get left behind because they're not, they're something that are very specific to a window. I mean, sometimes they have to be specially yeah. made as well. Some windows aren't standard sizes. So it can be beneficial for a landlord if they're in good enough condition to have blinds in place. What I do advise, regardless of if it's furnished or unfurnished, is to at least have a curtain rail put up so tenants at least can just come in and put their curtains on it. It also saves tenants drilling holes in the walls or above the walls trying to do it themselves. So whenever it does come to it, I do advise landlords at least put a curtain pole up so they've got the option to put curtains up in the meantime. If they want to get a blind going forward for an unfurnished one, for example, then they've got the option to do so. But curtain yeah. poles, I feel, are at least an essential, especially if you have like a peculiarly shaped window. They've had that before. So it's up to, I've said to the landlord, look, at least put something in place that will accommodate a tenant to be able to use it. Because the way it was, I'm like, I have no idea how you put a blind in that. Yeah. And it's probably quite costly as well. So when you were talking about Venetian blinds and that, you know, is it, is it, they're, not, they're not exactly easy to clean. No, they're not. So when it comes to it, it's trying to get one that it can be quite good. Obviously, the wooden ones will probably be a bit harder just with the quality that they are. So yeah. even the plastic coated ones can be a bit easier because you can run a cloth over them a lot easier than you could for the wooden ones. It won't have, I mean, we've seen ones before that maybe had like watermarks left on them, even from them sitting on the windowsill. Maybe somebody's had a cup there and it's soaked onto the blinds a little bit. So it's beneficial to have like kind of plastic coated Venetian blinds if you are going to put them in. So yeah. they've got that easier, they're a bit more durable and easier to clean because yeah. they can get absolutely mangled somehow. <laughs> I know, oh, tell me about it. It's like, especially if you, if you, especially if some tenants have got pets, mm -hmm. especially if you've got vertical blinds because vertical blinds are a harbour for this and they're, and they're fabric and the you know, cats go in and out of them, dogs rub themselves up against them. So eventually at some point they do actually get dirty and possibly they might get damaged. So, um, well, so there's an issue with um, should do as well in terms of yeah. in terms of coming back to the inventory you talked about and the fact of the importance to make sure that this is all categorized and itemized the fact that the, the the blinds are in good working order and there's no damage to them at all because simple things like weak cracks and the you know the bit the connectors that connect all the blinds together at the bottom is usually the first thing to take the toll isn't it yeah that's the thing it's the ones like the vertical blinds that you say that have got all the kind of little bead bits at the bottom they are very commonly end up getting broken just the the plastic over time that snaps that holds the the beads onto the actual curtain itself they end up breaking it's they're not very easy to deal with replacements for them as well and they end up becoming a thing that 
has seen better days and we usually advise a landlord to get rid of before the next tenant comes along at that point. Which is another additional cost when you think about it, and it's more or less just a write-off. So what, what would you, what would your advice then be about, what, if you were to pin your colours to the mast about the best type of blind, then for, for a living room, um, then what would that blind be? Or what would that curtain be? Would you just say go for a curtain? I would go for, if it's unfurnished, I would just advise putting a curtain pole up. It gives yep. the tenant the option to put their own curtains up, which they'll then be taken, well, they should be taken away at the end of the tenancy. If it's harboured any smells over the time, that's something they should then be taken with them. Or if they don't, it's easily disposed of. If you are wanting to put a blind up, personally, I find the plastic, the wood effect, but the plastic coated white Venetian blinds are the best option for it. The yeah. vertical ones just... They're a nightmare for breaking. We've seen them you know what, I, what I always found good about the curtain was you could take the curtain off and actually just put it in the washing machine. So when you put yeah. it back up, it smelled of lavender mm-hmm. and, and immediately gave the whole place a refresh just with the curtain being washed. Exactly. So curtain poles are probably the best option. When it comes to a furnished let, I would probably put some curtains in because, like we say, there's going to be more of an expectation for them to be there in a furnished let. And um, likewise, obviously, when it comes to a bedroom, blackout blinds are an excellent option for bedrooms as they give the tenant the option for total darkness and allowing some light depending on how they like to sleep. So it yeah. comes back to a good night's sleep is key. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we would usually advise against having window treatments in wet or humid areas such as the kitchen or bathrooms. So if privacy is an issue, consider replacing any clear glass with obscured glass. Yeah. So, I mean, prime example of this is blinds in in the bathroom they're just a harbour for moisture mold just obviously with the condensation that occurs yeah, in a bathroom yeah i get it um, i understand that yes yeah. yeah even in a kitchen as well i mean i've tried to clean my kitchen blind and i think i just made it look worse so <laughs> so it can be um, beneficial not to have them in the kitchen if that's an option and like we say if it is a case of privacy there are options even if you don't want to change the pane of glass to have an obscured one you get quite a lot of um maybe more suitable for a kitchen than a bathroom, but the kind of sticker that goes over it instead. Yeah. We've seen quite a few tenants that are maybe in properties that do struggle with privacy that have perhaps put them on like the the lower pane of the glass as well, just so they're still getting the natural light coming in, but it does give them that bit more privacy yeah. as well. I've seen people use plantation shutters as well, you know, actually built into the window. And, yeah. and, and it's the landlord that's provided them and just put them in and they're there forever. And... They seem to be the most robust, but potentially could probably be the most expensive. Yeah, I think obviously we are, we've got a couple of rentals that have got them that, that are quite like high quality properties in general that have obviously yeah. been had them fitted along with the build for them. And they're still like new because, like you say, they're quite robust, but they'll probably be like that because they came with the price tag to make them that quality in the first place. So then does it come back to a false economy of buying cheap? That's the thing. The cheaper you buy, the more you're going to have to replace. So mm. at the end of the day, if you're buying something, I would say not necessarily having to go top of the range, but at least like a good good level of it, that you're getting a quality product for your money. It saves the continual turnover of having to replace them when you could have just bought something maybe better quality in the first place and it would have stayed for yeah. the duration. And then when you think about it, it's not just the cost of replacement, it's the cost of actually the labour involved in replacing it. It, which could be more than the actual cost of the actual item itself. So That's like if you're not it, handy, you're having to get that. a tradesman in to do yeah. so. And like you say, it that could end up being that false economy, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. So 
so what other things do we need to think about? You know, I mean, you've got humid areas for the bathrooms and stuff like that. And, and you talked about the kitchens. We talked about the, the bedroom areas. We talked about um, just in the Venetian blinds and the curtains. Um, one of the things that I'd actually thought about, you know, in the early days where I had the, you know, the smaller windows where it was just a singular window with a top hopper, um, rather than actually get two massive, two massive curtains and have one either side, I actually just used to put one big curtain right along and actually put it back on a tie back. So I was able to use one set of curtains for two windows. Now that's just me being tight, but but it worked. <laughs> it, it worked. It worked. It was half the cost for for two windows. It can be quite good even for like draft proofing. See if you've got like an older door in your property that's maybe. That's a good point as well. Yeah. yeah so you can get like a nice big durable curtain if you've got like a porch that tends to be the most kind of common area for them because perhaps you've got your kind of not as energy efficient door that will lead you into the porch and then maybe like a more suitable one into the actual property itself but to prevent any further drafts coming in if you get a nice thick durable curtain you can put that over the door to obviously keep some of the heat in from yeah the should we with curtains and blinds and stuff like that should we consider health and safety depending on who the tenant is yes so i think regardless whether it's furnished unfurnished if you've got blinds or curtains in place there is health and safety is a landlord's responsibility so including the hooks or the clear like curtain wraps that come with the cord and install them obviously on the side of the window so they're out of reach of young children who could be easily tangled up. And even same with pets as well, pets that come along and knock them, you don't want your pet getting tangled up. So if the curtains and blinds do tend to come with either a tie back for the curtains or if it comes to blinds, you've got the little kind of plastic bit that you can loop the cable around so it's not getting tangled up. Wow. And I just thought furnished lens was just a straightforward process. <laughs> and we've, managed to, we've managed to talk about this, so much about this and so much that's involved. Thank you very much for coming on, uh, Karen, and discussing the subject, because I, I kind of thought it was quite important. And and, and as as, would, as as the research suggests, that you know, furnished properties in certain areas, in city areas, for example, can actually attract a higher rent um, by up to, um, possibly by up to about 21%. Which is actually quite a startling figure considering because if your rent say a thousand and then that's another 200 uh 201 pound a month so another 201 pound a month times the 12 months is another 2400 um and and that's not necessarily that's not necessarily anything extra that potentially depending on how you've done it in the first place could end up uh, going straight to the bottom line because the furnishings could last quite a long time um Furnishings themselves, just a general point of view, how does the um, Safe Deposit Scotland or the, the deposit systems, how do they view furnishings, the lifespan of them? You know, do they take a, do they have arbitrary numbers that they say, like a carpet should be so long, a cooker should be so long and all the rest of it? How do they look at that? I think it just depends on the individual adjudicator that deals with the case, perfectly honest. So um, obviously yeah. they've got to allow for fair wear and tear regardless, furnished, unfurnished, um, there has to be wear and tear accommodated for during a tenancy. So obviously depending on how long a tenant's been in the property, it depends on how much wear and tear would be acceptable for yeah. it. Um, obviously furniture is going to be the same as well. So if you've had maybe like a dog nick to maybe a dining room table or like a ring on it, I mean, there's various different aspects that you are going to have to take into consideration when it comes to wear and tear for furniture because ultimately... If you've got a great tenant that looks after it so well, then ideal. But I mean, realistically, life happens, mistakes happen, whether it's you've put your hot mug down on a on a coffee table and it's left a mark on it, or there's been an odd little spill on the couch. Like these are all things that are gonna to have to be obviously taken into consideration that 
you might not get your furniture back in the pristine condition that it was given in in the first place. So it's taken that, that into account. So and I think as well for accidental landlords, yeah, maybe moving in with a partner and leaving their personal furniture there, for example, their couch, their bed frame, all these kind of things. It's having to take that perhaps sentimental attachment away from it because you are leaving it as part of your investment. It's no longer your couch. It is your tenant's couch, basically. So um, it can be something to consider whether you want to do furnished or unfurnished. I've, I've, I've seen that before and I've experienced it before where, you know, some landlords have actually gone, well, this is the couch that we've got and it has sentimental attachment to us because it was this and it was that. The tenant needs to look after it and they can't do anything with it. It needs to stay there. And I'm like, you're literally you're literally declining your market as we go and the it's, number of people that could actually rent this property because all because you've got a sentimental attachment to a couch put it into storage yeah or you know, take it with you <laughs> yeah, or, or take it with you or or do something with it but mm -hmm. don't don't leave the tenant with your expectations about how you expect them to live their life in what is effectively their home because ultimately mm -hmm. they're giving them a house and they're making it a home Exactly. And that's the thing. People don't all live the same ways. What's acceptable to some people maybe isn't. Some people may have different standards for that. So we can, as an agent, we can't impose on the way that people live. As long as they are keeping paying the rent, looking after the property, not causing any damage to it. If they've got washing on the floor, then they have washing on the floor. You can't impact on the way that somebody lives in their own property. So yeah, if you do have sentimental attachment to furnishings that you're leaving, I would advise not leaving them. Um, yeah. It's not to say that anything's going to happen to them, but it, you have the potential to set yourself up for upset or basically upheaval at the end of the yeah, tenancy. A bit of aggravation between tenant and landlord, yeah. and, and, and unfortunately we're, we're often caught in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, and it's difficult to mediate between both parties, especially if there's an expectation from one and it doesn't match the expectation of another. Um, yeah. That's where the ch that's where the challenge arises, and it's a skillful agent that could actually mediate that um, in appropriately in order to have the outcome for both parties as a win-win situation, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, perfect. So, what is the next step that anybody can do then if they're considering this? So, if you are considering this and you're not sure whether it's best for yourself to go furnished or unfurnished, get in contact with your local agent. Yeah. So. Uh, if you do have any questions, whether your property is in an area that would be demand for furnishings, please feel free to contact us. You can give us a call on our lettings line on 0133 424 188 or you can message either myself or you can send us a message on directly on our chat here and we'll get back to you if yeah, you'd like. Yeah, directly on chat or you can send an email via, what is it, lettings at fiveproperties.co.uk. Simple as exactly. that. So if you've got okay. any queries, nice and easy to get in contact with us. Perfect. Thanks very much for coming on, Kim. Really appreciate that. That's a good in-depth into the furnished lettings. I'll probably even consider that myself. <laughs> okay, that's us. Uh, any other questions for anybody else, please feel free to message them later on. If you're on the podcast, please feel free to get in touch with us as well. We're more than happy to help you. Until next time, guys, um, that's us for this weekend. We'll see you next weekend for our sales show. Bye-bye for now. Goodbye. Okay,